0: Hey, good morning, those of you here at the Burlington campus. Good morning, those of you watching from the Union campus. We have live feed every single week. That's a high priority, so we can all be in this together, even though we're at different locations. And uh, happy March, right? Like, it's, you yeah, it a crazy day. I think it's so cool uh, that you all came to church. I don't know how many people are at the Union campus currently, but we have uh, actually, you know, several more here at 11.15 than we did at 9.30, which is shocking to me because you drove when it was less than ideal. Uh, one of the things I mentioned, though, at 9.30 is today's one of those days we're kind of checking the hour by hour. And uh, one of the most commonly asked questions by a first-time guest is, how long is this going to last? Right? Some of you may be asked that continuously, right? Is this service still going on? That's, that's okay. We appreciate your honest feedback. So to answer that question, we uh, shoot for 65 minutes, right? So you're like, okay, knowing that it's continuing to snow out there, um, um, when am I actually going to get to go home? And uh, we appreciate you taking the time to come at all. So whatever your story is, we pray that you have a great experience, that you ultimately meet with God and you uh, experience... uh, Uh, Him meeting with you wherever you are in your life. And so uh, we pray for this time together, understanding that there are several hundred different stories represented in one moment, um, and there isn't a specific word that any human can give, but God's presence can meet you where you are, and so we make room for Him, and that's what we do every single week. That's a high priority. Now, if you are a first-time guest, then obviously you missed last week. This is the the last week in our family series. Last week was a, a, a significant A day because we we focused and emphasized on something that we're going to continue to emphasize and even normalize in our culture uh, for hopefully as long as the church uh, exists, uh, or at least until we knock this problem out. And that's the specific area of fostering and adopting. So Chad Cadell brought the powerful message last week about the, the level of need in this area, and he spoke into it from personal experience, having gone through adoption, him and his wife, Tara. And, but we understand this is one of those areas where most of you probably came into church last week, didn't know we were going to be focusing on that. You hear about it. And this isn't one of those areas where you turn to your spouse and you're like, we take one, we take two, how many, like, it's a pretty big thing, right? This, you're hearing about it. You're like, okay, well, it's maybe, well, this isn't even on my radar, but now I'm hearing the level of need. Well, let's pray about it. Let's discern next steps. Uh, and so New Beginnings is one of the agencies we've been partnering with to, to pave the way. And when I first met with them, she just straight, ask, straight up asked me, like, hey, would you and your wife be interested in fostering or adopting? It's like, well, not right now, but hopefully one day getting to that point. And so a, this is such a significant thing, even to the certain point of stage of life. And, I, and this is what I love about our church families. We have a heart for this, and I think that we can really make a difference in this area. So all that to say, uh, we, that was our focus last week, but a sense of readiness requires some prayer, right, and cultivation of conversation. This is why we have the agencies here today as well at both campuses. So if you either if you weren't here or you thought more about it, talk more about it, we want to make it an easy connection point. And what that means is when you go to one of these tables to get more information, taking one next step is looking at more information or setting up a meeting to gather more information taking these small steps, because it is a significant thing, but it's a, it's a significant need, and we believe that we are responsible, as Chad you know, alluded to last week, taking care of widows and orphans, and this is what it looks like to take care of the orphan. The church can really make a dent in meeting this need. So New Beginnings Agency is out there. They're literally in their, their backyard of the Union campus, and uh, it's been great to get to know them. A little bit more, and Nicole Brantz has been coming to, to First Church for a while. She works there. That's a big thing. The other agency that is out there, both campuses, is CASA. C A S A stands for court, court Appointed Special Advocate. The reason why we wanted to have them here as well is because this kind of casts a wider net of people who would be able to help in this specific area. It requires, obviously, way less time but the level of impact is still significant. And so as kids are going through the court system, you're signing up to be an advocate for this child and navigating certain conversations, providing encouragement and influence in the best possible way for them. Now, if you get on their website, they'll tell you that there's two requirements for, uh, uh, to be an advocate. Number one is you have to love children, right? That That should be obvious. The second one I love, you have to have common sense. The fact that they would even take the time to put that on there, right? I thought was hilarious. And uh, honestly, if you're a highly self-aware person, it might eliminate a lot of people already, too. (laughs) I love kids, but I don't have common sense. They're not interested in the conversation, so... They're at both campuses. They would love to talk with you about what that looks like. And so this is something that, again, that's a significant thing. And if you don't have as much time margin or stage of life or whatever, this is something that you can help out with. Um, and so that, that we're gonna continue to just, you know, raise the banner in that area. Second thing I wanna mention, we got a lot of different things going on, um, but this is another area of high value is uh, the missionaries that we support, both locally and internationally. We have 29 mission partners. And each month we show a different uh, mission spotlight video. Because we don't want to just support them financially and say, hey, go and do your thing, right? We're supporting you that way. We want to know what they're up to so that we can be in prayer for them and so that they can feel connected to us. We're not just a financial partner saying, here, we're going to fund your ministry. No, we want to walk with you and we want want you to know that on a Sunday morning, Thursday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, we're going to show a video to our church family of which you are also a part of because we want to be connected to you and we want to be lifting you up. So here is this month's Missionary Spotlight video.
1: Hi, First Church. Uh, I'm Eli, and with my wife, Mandy, and three beautiful children, uh, we've served here in Piedras Negras, Mexico, uh, with Vida Nueva Ministries. And over the years, uh, First Church has partnered with us uh, to accomplish God's mission of breaking the cycle of poverty and disadvantage in our beloved Mexico. And we do that primarily through church planting and Christ-centered education. Uh, Here in the city of Piedras Negras, uh, we continue to grow our Christian education program. And the way we like to call it is this, it's a Christian school for non-Christian people. Uh, Over 80% of our students don't come from a Christian background. So this uh, uh, presents a unique opportunity for us To reach out and plant seeds and tell people about God's love and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Many of these students are really hearing about the gospel for the very first time in their lives uh, through our uh, devotions, uh, monthly chapel gatherings, uh, prayer, and Christian education class as part of the curriculum. Would you pray with us? as we serve over 450 students and over 800 members through our church plants, that God gives us wisdom and strength to carry out His mission. Uh, pray with us that uh, God touches the heart of our government officials, uh, that, that they can see uh, what we're doing here and, and what, the difference, what a difference this school is making in the lives of so many in helping break that cycle of poverty in our community. Our Puebla uh, church plant, our newest church plant. Uh, Would you also pray for our church planters, uh, Juan and Marta Lizarraga. Uh, They started off the year with four baptisms in January. And and, and as we move forward with our plans uh, to purchase land and begin construction, uh, would you pray with us that we find suitable land and develop a community center to continue to grow God's kingdom? Uh, Thank you, First Church, uh, for your generosity and and for your heart for missions, uh, uh, not just locally, but globally, um, and, and truly investing and making a difference in God's kingdom. Gracias. I
0: love it. They're doing that day in, day out. That's a privilege to be able to partner with them. And so we wanted to highlight them so we can be in prayer for them. Eli and his family, you saw they have three little ones. The last two years, we've had our missions fair, which is once a year, typically in October. All of our missionaries come here and work together, and we get to celebrate them, encourage them, pray for them. The last two years, they've hopped in a minivan and made the drive from Mexico all the way to here. And I've been out in the lobby when they pull up, and I'm like, you did what, right? And they're like, are you still sane? Like, that's unbelievable, and they're here for a few days, and they turn around and make the trek back. (laughs) Like, that's humbling. Like, every time they roll up, that's a wake-up call of what we get to be about, and that's that's a big deal. Last thing I wanna mention, I know it's a lot of stuff, we got a lot of stuff to sift through and and to celebrate. Uh, A few weeks ago, I mentioned the launch of our next campus, and that, that location being Fort Thomas Bellevue area. And so if you missed that, right, we'll give more details in the future. I talked more about it then. And so as we continue to discern where God wants us to make a difference uh, with the primary purpose of reaching more people, we look at different areas that uh, don't have a lot of people going to church. And and along with, this is Fort Thomas Bellevue area, don't have a lot of healthy growing churches. And so there's a lot of need there. Another uh, primary reason based on the culture that he's cultivated here at First Church, and what I love about our church family, is how we naturally connect with impoverished people. Uh, I love that even though we're a suburban church, right, in Burlington and Union, we pave the way for meeting needs in uh, the inner city, right, and doing what we can, even, you know, having homeless men, picking them up, uh, you know, in Covington, Cincinnati, and, and bringing them over, and they use uh, our, our student building over here, and that's happening again this week with cold temperatures. And so, with a place like Fort Thomas, it gets us closer to be able to maximize our impact and, and, and utilizing, you know, people who our church family have a heart for for meeting a great need of which we're responsible for. So, the first step is establishing kind of that interest group. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago. And know, you know, if you're a first-time guest, you weren't here when we unpacked this. We'll continue to kind of lay this out you know, as far as the progression and the next steps. If you're interested in being a part of uh, the launch team, you can just write Fort Thomas on your connection card, put it in the offering bowl when it goes through your row, and you're not signing up for anything. You're saying, hey, I want, want more information and consideration to be a part of that eventual launch team. But the first definitive next step is hiring a campus pastor, which you want to do anywhere from six months to 12 months out from the official launch. Because I mentioned a few weeks ago, we want to pave the way by serving the community, establishing a voice, becoming credible, um, meeting different needs there, as opposed to just saying, hey, we're a church. Who wants to come? We're not going to do that. We want to get to know the community and and serve the community. So we've officially hired a campus pastor. I'm extremely ecstatic about it because it's somebody I literally go all the way back to college with. It's somebody that I worked with here at First Church for a time. I started in 2001. He started in 2002. We partnered together in youth ministry. And uh, in 2011, him and his wife went to Las Vegas to work at a church there. His name is Mark Graham. So, yeah. We got some claps. So this is extremely exciting for those of us that have been here for a while, right? It's a long time since 2011, and obviously there's a lot of new people that you're like, okay, that's great, sounds like a nice guy, I guess we'll meet him then. And a lot has changed since 2011. And so here's a picture of Mark and uh, his wife, Jessica, and their are three boys. Those of you that go way back, you're like, holy cow, you know, uh, they were way smaller then. This is a big move, and uh, this is an exciting next step because he's a high-capacity leader who is extremely uh, excited to step into this role. He'll start May 1st. And uh, so we'll continue to uh, establish that interest list, and then once he gets here, meet with the launch team and, and take next steps from there. So be in prayer for all of that, especially the people that live in those areas that don't currently have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The reason why we have camps is to make it as easy as possible for people to come to know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we'll do whatever we have to uh, to help make that happen. Let me pray for us, and we'll get into the message. God, in these moments, we consider your word and your direction for our lives. I pray that you'll make it clear, I pray that you'll challenge us convict us. God, we want to grow, not for the sake of our own personal growth primarily, but for the sake of being more in line with your mission for our lives. So we look forward to what you're going to speak into us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today is the last message in uh, our family series. And uh, if you're a first-time guest or haven't been here the last few weeks, we talked about the church being a family. We talked about marriage and parenting. And uh, this week, I wanted to wrap up with an area that I feel like often gets undervalued and maybe we wouldn't instinctively attach to family, and that's the, the significance of friendship. The significance of friendship. This isn't even a church thing that we often get wrong, it's a cultural thing. We think oftentimes that bo- until we're married, we're incomplete or we're without. Many of you know I've mentioned it before. I didn't get married, so I was 35 years old. And so the question is, uh, are you dating anybody? Uh, you know, uh, are you? When do you think you might get married or be interested in getting married? Are you married yet? Right? It's like it's this yeah, It's like uh, you're not quite. You know, right? It's always like this big thing, right? I mean, marriage and family, right? This isn't just a church thing. It culturally. Right, it's like that's the, the fulfillment of the American dream of what we deem to be complete. And so I apologize on behalf of the church, especially to anybody who's been single and feels like they're you know, the, re- the rest of the church looks at them as like, hey, when are you going to start working toward what is normal? We're like, well, you have permission to not be normal because there's a couple of very good examples in Scripture that we see who live very complete, fulfilling lives. One of which was Jesus Himself, right? He was never lacking, he was never without, and so he was called to that specific ministry of which, you know, a marriage relationship apparently was not uh, necessary in order for him to accomplish that mission. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, same story. So let me be very clear, right? somewhat of a, sem- a separate message, but I need to put this in here at the same time. If getting married keeps you from God's primary calling for ministry in your life and investing in, your king- in, in the kingdom, right, if that's a detraction or a distraction, then Fully embrace being single and go all out. And especially, and even if you're in that that, that space of time, you know you want to get married, you know you want to have kids, but God's going to, he wants to use you right now. He has a specific mission and purpose in mind for you now that will obviously have to practically change when that next stage of life comes. So be all in where he has you. Now, all that to say, I think we undervalue it when we use words like just. Like, oh, you, you guys are just friends, right? When we, when we think about this, the, the significance of friendship that God had in mind, or maybe you went through that breakup time, right? Middle school, high school, college, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend has a conversation with you. They say, I just want to be friends, right? Bottom drops out of your heart, right? Many of us can relate to that. You're like, oh, no, not as friends, right? But we use that word, just, got a little, little close, close to home right there, right? There is no such thing as just friends. Like the significance of friendship of what God has in mind, right, is primary in exemplifying how he loves us. This is the gift of friendship. Now, let me get more specific. Think about your your holiday gatherings, right? Christmas, Thanksgiving. Typically, it's mostly family, if not all family. But some of you, hopefully many of you, have these gatherings that include friends who you consider to be like family. And so God calls us to have friends who are like family, and to be friends who are like family to those that we gather with. Uh, my in-laws are a perfect example of this. You know, I, my, my parents, uh, you know, live three and a half hours away, and so uh, different times of the year, they would invite me to hang out with their family, and so that's how Emily and I established a strong friendship that led to more than friends, not just friends. And... But even before I started gathering with them, uh, one of our worship leaders here at the Burlington campus, Josh Brown, him and his wife, Heidi, both of their families live out of town, and my in-laws, the Hancocks, have always invited them to a Christmas family gathering. It's typically not on Christmas Day. They spend time with their families as well. And so what's, the beauty of that is choice. <laughs> they choose to be a part of it, and they're invited in, and so it's this mutual choosing. That doesn't always take place in the context of family, right? If you're following me, you're born into your family. You don't choose them, right? They technically didn't choose you. They just happen to have you, right? That sounds bad, that sounds negative, but practically speaking, that's what happens. You have your family and that's your family, whether you like it or not. And so if Josh and Heidi, like for example, next year, say, you know what, we're not gonna come, uh, we would be you know, uh, you know, bummed about that. Like, oh man, we're gonna miss you guys, but they would be, they would be able to get away with it, right? Because they're, they're, they're friends who are family. I, on the other hand, if I said to my in-laws, Christmas 2019, I think I'm just gonna take off. I think I'm just gonna take a break. You know, you know, I'll see you guys next year. I'm guessing, you probably know better than I do, I'm not gonna get away with that. No, I'm family, you're gonna be here, I don't care how much you like us or don't like us, you're family, you're expected to show up. That's the expectation. But think about the power of choice, right? Now, even after you choose the person that you're gonna marry, right, there's choice involved there, your family is set, that's your family. And this is, what I'm getting at is the essence of the power that we often overlook when it comes to having friends. It's this continual choosing of each other over time. And what God has in mind through this choosing is is to exemplify the way in which He continually chooses us and the way in which He uses the, the vehicle of friendship itself to exemplify the way that He loves us. And unfortunately, some of you, you know, you've experienced even more love, you know, through friendship than you have your own family. You're like, yeah, my friends who are family, they're my primary family. This is why you can often feel More love because there's this, it's it's humbling to know that your friend chooses you over and over again. It's like, why? You want to be friends with me. It's a humbling thing. Parents, you've had this conversation with uh, your kids, I'm sure, at some point, you know, at a young age. uh, You say to them over and over, you're trying to reassure them, you know, I love you, I love you. And then at some point, they say to you, probably multiple times over the course of years, but you have to love me. You're my mom, you're my dad, you have to love me. Well, they aren't lying, right? Like, that's technically true. And so this is the power of friends who are family outside of the half to category when you choose to love them and walk with them, what exemplifies in that. So, in case you're leaving early, I'm gonna give you all three elements, characteristics of a great <laughs> friendship. We don't encourage people leaving early, but you know, in case that happens, this is what we're doing today. Here it is, true friendship. True friendship is reflected through availability, emotional investment, and sacrifice. So first, a friend is available. The true friendship is, consists of people who are available for each other. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to show up in your life because I care about you. I'm going to make time. Proverbs 18, 24, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, right? Friends that you can't count on. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Right? We just talked about this practically. You can have friends who are actually closer than family. And that word stick in in the Hebrew, the original language of the Old Testament, means to cleave. It's this commitment out of brotherly love. Again, this is why many of us might have friends who are even closer than a family is. So crisis happens, you end up in the hospital, there's probably gonna be family that shows up, and they should, but they're going to show up primarily because they're family, and they, they hopefully love you as well. But oftentimes, you're going to have some family members that show up, even though you guys might be at odds. I mean, you guys might not even like each other in that moment, and they're primarily showing up because, like, well, it's family. It's what family does. But again, the power of choice. If a friend shows up, they're choosing to be there for you. They're making you a priority when they don't have to. There's no obligation. They wouldn't have it any other way. Proverbs 17, 17 is what they're living out. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Now again, in the original language, that context when they use the word brother, what that means is a friend who acts like a brother should. A friend who acts like a brother should. And oftentimes, right, hopefully many of you have lived this out, you end up doing irrational things for the sake of that friendship. It's not irrational to you, but the outside person looking in, like, you spent that much time to help them? So Mark Graham, who I mentioned is our, our you know, Fort Thomas campus pastor, he used to be here. In 2011, him and his family moved out to Las Vegas, and so they had to figure out how to get all their stuff out there. So his wife, Jess, and their three boys and their dog took the minivan, and then Mark needed help in transporting his stuff into U-Haul. And so he invited, invited, asked, however you want to word it, Gary Clark, our union campus pastor, and I to help him. Now, I don't know how much time you all spent in a moving truck, but it's not comfortable. And Las Vegas is a long way away, come to find out. <laughs> and so, here's three dudes sitting three across in a U-Haul truck, right? It's straight up and down. There's, there's no, you know, recline in your seat. And uh, we're rotating, driving all through the night. And uh, there's, you know, 65 mile an hour, governor, which means you can't go faster than that. And I didn't realize how much I hated Oklahoma until I'm driving in the middle of the night through Oklahoma. <laughs> So we made it all the way to Flagstaff, you know, nonstop, right? One of the most tired moments of my life. And what's the motivation? We're doing it all for for friendship. Like, that's pretty irrational. And so now the question is that you're probably thinking is, okay, he's coming back. How good of a friend are you still? (laughs) 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 Okay, here it is. Full disclosure. Gary's a better friend than me. (laughs) Good job, Gary. Props to him. So, hey, to my defense, they had to make room for the dog, right? I wasn't even asked this time around. Maybe Mark didn't even assume that I would be that kind of friend still. But, you know, Gary, uh, that last week in April, is going to help him move back, and the dog's taking my spot there in the U Haul, so <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Now, <laughs> At that time, you know, just for the sake of levity, and some of you will think this fun, is funny, some of you will roll your eyes, but uh, Lewis Hill at the Union campus, uh, several years ago after this had happened, he made a pretty funny picture of the three of us riding in a U-Haul. <laughs> <laughs> now, the ones that think that's especially funny know that it comes from, you know, the movie Dumb and Dumber, like he did that. And, I I know as soon as I say that, many of you, probably most of you wives, roll your eyes. You're like, oh, brother, okay, that's ridiculous. I get it. My my wife rolls her eyes as well the first time we watched that movie together. The only time we watched that movie together, she (laughs) repeatedly looked at me. She's like, you don't really think that's funny, do you? (laughs) Anyway, that's beside the point. A friend is someone who is simply willing to be there, Right? And to be with you to meet a need. You cannot be a friend without availability. It takes time. It takes time to be a good friend. To be a good friend is not efficient at all. But that's okay. That's what love looks like. Came across, I thought, an inspiring video of a woman who gets it right, a woman I would consider to be a role model. It's like, if I live to be this long, I want to live like her. She's one who lives with an outward uh, focused mindset of being there for her friend. She uses the word contributor. And so this video that you're about to see is of a 97-year-old woman, almost 98, uh, talking about her motivation for for wanting to do what you're going to see that she is going to do. And the title of this video is, I Like Being 98. Here it is.
1: How old
2: are you? 97. I'll be 98 in October. (laughs) I live in a retirement community. And we used to have a bus here to take people to the grocery store twice a week. And they gave that bus up. I don't know why. So a lot of people were stuck around here. Like my neighbor, Joyce, who was a very shy person, she said to me, well, if they don't get another bus, they'll find another place for me to live. And she says, I just don't want to go anywhere else. I said, Joyce, I'll get you to the grocery store every week. But I lost my driver's license because somebody thought I was too old. But I didn't have a mark against me at all. I was heartbroken at that. I really was. It made me feel old. It made me feel useless. I'm a good driver. I really am. I, I'm not fearful when I drive, but I'm very careful. You're a hot no you a Well, I drive sixty five, but I obey the rules, so I went to get it back. You make a promise. It's important for me to to keep that promise if it's possible. the earth I'm here. If I can contribute, I should. Shouldn't we all? And not just think of ourselves? It's supposed to get real cold. That's what you said. Like I say, I don't have money to give, but I can give myself and my time. A lot of people in the world who don't have anybody who cares about them. So that's the way I felt. <laughs> we're asked to love our neighbor be a friend that will give you joy I mean I don't do this so you think I'm great I don't even think of that my daughter says mother you shouldn't do this you shouldn't do that I'll say, well, okay. And like I say, I do what I please. I wouldn't do anything dangerous, but, you know. How about a cup of tea? Would you like a cup of tea and a muffin?
1: Oh, I'm good. No, I'm good.
0: Thank you. Oh, man, I love that. I love love her determination. I love that her motivation is the other person, right? That last part, it's like she's offering, do you want a cup of tea? You want a muff? Like, what can I do for you? I'm available. Like her motivation for getting drivers, license is to help her friend. Like what an awesome example. A friend is one who is there, is available. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine and 10. Two are better than one. Why? Because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who, who falls and has no one to help him up. I don't know about you, I want to be a friend who's there to help my friend when he when he falls a friend is also someone who is emotionally invested you can't a, a friendship is not con- contractual a friend is not a friendship from a distance right someone who just behaves the right way a friend is someone who comes close and so in scripture again we looked at the person of jesus when was when do we see him at his the 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 the, the strongest depth of grief of sorrow over loss. It was his friend Lazarus, right? The shortest scripture in the entire Bible is Jesus wept. He's weeping over the loss of a friend. And as I was looking at the scripture again this past week, I was reading further about right before he decides to raise Lazarus from the dead. Can you imagine? Oh, I lost a friend. I'm going to raise him from the dead. Like, Jesus, that's a pretty big deal. Even when he knew he had the power and could raise him from the dead, it speaks to the, the depth of emotion of loss that he still had, even while living in hope. And so he came close. He's emotionally invested, and he, he, he knew that there's a cost, right, emotionally to get that close to a person to lose them. And uh, you know, I don't know about the Union campus, but there's, there's a weight here, and every now and then we experience a weight within our campus and our services when we experience significant loss. And uh, so almost every week, right, we have Bill Grady playing bass guitar over here, right? He's a regular staple, and uh, his wife Jill has been battling cancer for a long time, for the second time. Uh, and for a while now and she's been navigating that and he's been loving her well and, and she passed away just yesterday. And uh, she's, like, the, there's certain people that uh, you just can't imagine the world without them, right? Jill is one of those people. I think of Donna Beebe who we lost, uh, you know, just over a year ago. I was like, no, that, that can't be. And so when you're connected, when you're close, when you're emotionally invested with people, it's like when you lose them, you feel like you have lost a part of yourself. Why? because you took the time to draw near, to be close. And so now you experience the cost on the other side. And so we, we grieve with Bill, with his family, and we continue to show up with him and for him. Uh, my wife and I went to a conference a couple of weeks ago and then took another additional week of vacation. And while we were on vacation, uh, we found out that uh, two of our closest friends, Carl and Lindsey Cool, had lost their 10-year-old niece. You might have even seen it on the news up in Mason, Ohio. Uh, this girl, Sable, uh, caught the flu and strep throat and ended up uh, dying of cardiac arrest. They think that she might have had a heart defect. And, and this, this affected us, right? Here we are on vacation, and there are certain things that you find out that you don't compartmentalize. You're like, okay, I'm going to think about that or you know, allow myself to feel that when I get home. Like, It affects you in the moment and continues to. And, and, and so knowing that they're going through that, And uh, thinking about them, praying about them, even as we're going on vacation, just out of nowhere, like that can't happen. That's not supposed to happen. And Carl, you know, we've been good friends since college. He was in my wedding and he's a pastor. He emails me just last week while we're on vacation. Do you have any messages, uh, you know, for funerals that you've done for children who have passed? that's an email I hope to never get. Unfortunately, we live in a world where I will continue to get those emails, but to have to look those up, think about those, the, those losses that families in our church have experienced, and to send those back to him, it's like, that affects you, right? You, 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 your day is not, you don't just go on with your day. That's the cost of being emotionally connected, the cost of a friendship. John chapter 21 is very interesting in just the, the course of What happened from the time Jesus spent with his followers, went to the cross, died, and then rose from the dead. Because before Jesus died on the cross, he spent his final, most intentional moments with his closest friends, knowing that one would betray him and one would deny him not once but three times. Peter denied Jesus, that he was a follower of him, three times right before Jesus dies. And Jesus knew this would happen. Think about the level of emotion. That Jesus had, right? He's, he's fully human. He experiences that closeness of friendship, and he knows that one of his closest friends is going to deny him. And so Jesus dies on the cross, beats death, rises from the dead, and still has some encounters, some moments with his followers. Can you imagine? Peter's like, whoops, probably should have been a little bit more confident, bold, and, right? Claiming him as my, my Lord and Savior. And so Jesus has this interaction with Peter. We see this in John 21. And again, Peter denied him three times, and Jesus in that moment asked him, Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know that I love you. He asked him a second time, do you love me? That had to hurt, right? Second time? He asked him a third time, Peter, do you love me? Now what's interesting, again, in the the Greek translation, right? we only have one word for love, but there's more than one word for love in, in the Greek. In the first two times that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me, he uses the word agape. Peter, do you agape me, which is the word for unconditional love? I so, said, yeah, well, of course I love you. And the second time, he's like, oh, man, he's asking me the second time. I really feel that. Now, the third time, he uses the word for love that is phileo, phileo, which is the word for friendship love. Now, I have to believe this is the one that probably hurt the most. Because, Peter, we're friends. <laughs> Say, do you love me as a friend, right? You think about unconditionally, parents, we love our kids unconditionally for better or for worse, even when we don't like them, but friendship love, this mutual choosing of each other, I believe that one probably had to hurt the most. Now, Jesus isn't trying to hurt him, but he's trying to get to the depth of love that he has on the friendship level with Peter. Peter, do you love me? Understanding how much that I still love you. So a friend is emotionally invested. Third and finally, a friend is willing to sacrifice. A friend is willing to sacrifice. And oftentimes, as good friends, we don't view it as sacrifice. We view it as what is normal. That's love. The night before Jesus died, he was explaining to his disciples what was going to happen. What he, he was going to go to the cross. And the fullness of friendship, don't miss this, because in this one verse, in this moment, this conversation with his followers, the fullness of friendship can be understood in what he communicated to them. Here's what he said, John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Really, like, greater love? Like, that's it, and he uses the word friends. And he goes on, and a couple verses later, say, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Here we have someone who loves us so much that he's willing to experience the abandonment of his Father God when he goes to the cross and takes on the sins of the world. That has to be separated from God, that sin itself. Why? So that we can experience... Friendship with God. That's great love. One author puts it this way. Understanding that after he had this conversation uh, with his followers, he went and exemplified it. He went and did it. Wesley Hill says this. Friendship is all about giving up oneself for the sake of love and embracing the cost of such radical loyalty. Said, if Jesus is the ultimate author and example of friendship, then we can't fail to remember that his own practice of friendship ended with him strung up on an instrument of imperial torture, made helplessly vulnerable and racked by grief. Now, notice this. He says friendship for him wasn't an escape route from self-sacrifice. It wasn't this isolated, safe place where you can compartmentalize. Like that's a nice, that's a nice, great thing that I can have friends. No, instead, author says it was the other way around. Self-sacrifice was precisely the way he enacted a life of friendship. This is what we're signing up for. We are aiming to be a gift in another person's life, a gift to the extreme of giving our lives. So Jesus embraced the abandonment of relationship from his father so that we could be friends with God. Now I wanna close with, with one verse that I think portrays a beautiful picture and that encapsulates these three elements, these three characteristics of a great friendship. Availability, emotional investment and sacrifice. And when you read this verse, you don't immediately think friendship, because there's no context of there being prior friendship, but in Luke 23:26, imagine this moment in time, as the soldiers led Jesus away, right? going to the cross, the soldiers seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Now, what's interesting, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four gospel writers, and three of those writers include this one verse, this description of Simon of Serene. And it's interesting that they name him, right? It was, you can't find out the fullness of that context, but the readers at that time must have been familiar with who this might have been. We're not sure exactly why he's there, but what hits me is the proximity, the proximity he is in this moment. Right? Again, there's no indication that there's prior close friendship with Jesus, but for some reason in that moment, he has not just come into the country. He finds himself next to the, the king of the Jews going to die a brutal death on a cross. And because he had already been beaten physically so badly, he's in a, in a place where he can't carry that cross beam any further. And so the soldiers sees him, and one translation says they compel Simon of Cyrene to carry his cross. What a beautiful picture. Here he is, someone who was available to do just that. And I can't imagine, you talk about emotional investment, that moment in time where he was realizing the fullness of what this moment means, that he is in this moment, the significant moment to the point of carrying the cross that the savior of the world will will die on. And the essence of sacrifice that he realizes, the beauty of being able to be a part of that. I don't know about you, but I want to be as willing and available as Simon of Cyrene when it comes to friendship. Because a friend is someone who will be a companion in the valley a companion in the valley. We all need that kind of friend. We all need to be that kind of friend. And so again, it brings me to the conviction of Proverbs 17, 17. A, a friend loves at all times, but notice this last part. A brother is born for a time of adversity. What's the purpose of my life? What's the purpose of your life? Well, part of the meaning and purpose of our lives is that we were born into this world to show up into other people's lives for when they go through the time of adversity in the valley, we're there with them. And when we do that, we exemplify the love and grace of Jesus Christ himself. See, Galatians chapter six, verse two says, bear one another's burdens. This, friendship is no small thing because when we choose to bear one another's burdens, it, it is the supreme imitation of Christ himself. It is, that's what we see. He says, no greater love, no greater love is on display when we choose to be a good friend. Let's pray. God, in these moments as we consider what you have in mind for our lives, I pray that we will not, think of our friendships as just a normal part of life. We will think of them as a primary vehicle for loving well and showing the rest of the world how much you love us. So I pray that we will show up and we'll get it right. We need your help. We thank you for your spirit that lives within us, that guides us, encourages us, strengthens us. And God, we show up to you for the sake of, of you. And we need to glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.